Hello everyone and welcome to episode 16 of Data Unplugged. Today I have Alan König uh, with me. Um, thank you very much for joining me, Alan. And for everyone listening today, Alan and I are going to talk about leadership with, with a bit of a focus in on the data space. So Alan, thank you very much for, for coming on the podcast. Um, as per usual, why don't you quickly introduce yourself for the audience? Absolutely. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, my name is Alan. I'm the head of engineering or one of the head of engineering at Altamy. We are a startup that works on decarbonizing the cement and concrete industry. And, yeah, I have around 15 years of experience now in various fields of software, software engineering, data engineering, and a bit of data science on the mail. And, yeah, I'm based in Berlin. Cool. Thank you very much. And um, I would say, um, let's jump straight in. You just said uh, 15 years of experience in uh, total. And um, how long has it been that uh, you started leading uh, people in the tech space, actually? So, yeah, I've done this with a, with a long break in between twice in my life now. I started off when I was fresh out of uni uh, in a student organization, a really large student organization. I led a team of 30 people in what would be All right. a team of 40, mostly volunteers in, in things like internal tech support and user education. Then I dove very deeply into software engineering as an individual contributor. And now I've been leading again full time since around two, three years in mm. data related functions. Okay, well, well, very interesting to jump straight into leadership position uh, during uni time. Um, yeah. I think, uh, Helen, uh, when I messaged you, when, when I asked you to come on the podcast, it was very because um, you, you're very vocal about leadership on, on LinkedIn. You seem uh, very passionate about it. Mm -hmm. um, were you always that passionate about leadership um, or was that was that really something that, became a passion once you stepped up in a leadership position and you realized, oh, I really like this. It's more or less. I, in fact, when I had my first leadership positions, I was kind of allergic to it and I didn't really enjoy that. <laughs> so it was just too much of a hassle for me. But then, And that's why I did IC work for a long time. And at some point I even was determined to never step up into a leadership role again. But Then I had the opportunity to take build up a team in a company that I was really excited about and where I really wanted to contribute to what they were doing. And then uh, years later, which was years later, and then I really started to enjoy this position and see the, all the potential that there is to really shape an organization in a way that aligns with my values and contributes something meaningful. And that's where I become really passionate about this topic. Right. So that that's actually quite interesting, right? Um, obviously, you're saying that you, you, you use the word allergic to it, uh, too much of a hustle, and then actually really enjoying it. What was the, the moment that changed? Like, where was that, that switch from, I don't like it, to I really love it? Uh, I think for me, it was when I felt complete in my individual contributor work. I felt like I've done a lot, I've learned what I could learn, and I wanted something new. And... That that's something new turned out in this particular case to be a leadership role in a way. But the real shift happened when I could see the difference I could make in the, the lives of my teams and their careers to help them grow. The first person I had in this new team was a junior data engineer, and I was really mm -hmm. excited to help her step up into her role and establish herself in that field. She's not quite successful. And 
it was for me a really meaningful contribution. And uh, the second person I hired stepped up into a leadership team lead role pretty quickly. And so helping people grow in their positions, in their careers and in their roles and feel comfortable in their in their working environments, etc. That that became really meaningful to me. Okay. I realized okay. this friends I can make. Okay. That that's lovely. So basically, yeah, helping out people. And um I guess I guess there is challenges, um, as as you were saying, obviously for for your employees, but also when you I mean you, you didn't step up and be uh, and started being a freshly baked leader, but I guess your your last leadership position being in uni was quite a while ago. So what challenges did you face once you stepped up the first time? Mm-hmm. Yeah. The first challenge was that nobody was telling me what to do anymore. I was very comfortable <laughs> just working on clearly specified tasks and doing them very well and diving deeply into doing them as, as well as I could and as fast as I could and as sustainably as I could. But then suddenly... I was the one who had to figure out what needs to happen. And that was quite a challenge initially because I felt very disoriented. But it also became a really interesting challenge that I nowadays really enjoy just figuring out in an uncertain situation what needs to happen to move the the company forward and the team forward and everybody in the team forward. And so this kind of scoping out the direction was probably the biggest challenge for me, not not having instructions anymore about how, how... what good mean meant in my work? Mm. Um, so maybe for for anyone listening, right? All the all the all the lead data analysts and scientists and engineers, all all looking to step up into a, a team lead position or maybe higher, um, maybe similarly facing some issues. How did you overcome them? Was that a bit of a, you know, like a mentorship situation? Did you look for a mentor? Was this just like? get your teeth stuck in and, you know, work through it. How did you overcome that that challenge in your career? It's a mix of both. I definitely stuck my teeth in and talked to everybody around me about what they seemed important and tried to weigh their opinions and analyze them. But I also had, in my last leadership position, I had a really experienced manager as, a, as my own manager who helped me a lot. And also I did quickly... Um, look for a mentor and I found a really great mentor who had a lot of experience in that space. And I worked with her about half a year, almost every week to, to just reflect on the challenges I had and see what I could do. That, that realm of experience of both my own manager and that mentor really made a big difference for me to speed up my learning. Mm. Mm. And then um, what I also, that is a question that I get asked as a recruiter uh, quite a lot as well. Um, is people, when they want to step up into a leadership position, it's always a bit difficult if you don't have that experience, right? Um, because there is challenges, uh, as you already mentioned. If um, if someone out there is listening um, and they want to step up into a leadership position, um, what, what advice would you give to them? Like, how can they make that transition? Maybe how does that transition happen in your team, uh, for example? Um, how can they make that step up into individual from individual contributor to to leader mm, yeah there's a bunch of things i would advise people the first of thing all is to look for a company that actually has a leadership gap because that's what happened for me the company that hired me as a, originally as a senior data engineer but they already spoke to me that i need, needed somebody to build up a team so there was a clear gap there that i could fill with my experience 
And the and I've seen that a lot work for people that they go, especially in the data space, there's often teams that are being mm. started in companies where there isn't a lot of data experience expertise yet. And so then very naturally they will very quickly if everything goes well need a data data leader. And the other thing is look for leadership opportunities and maybe they have them already and don't highlight them outside of work. So for instance, I, I did a lot of volunteering and mm-hmm. in, in nonprofits and small organizations. And that, 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 again, there's a leadership gap and that, that was very easy to step up and say lead a recruiting effort for a nonprofit or either step up into the board of a small organization or organize a meetup, organize an event. All of these are practical leadership experience where, where I could try out what, how I enjoyed being a leader or not enjoy, especially after the previous leadership experience that I didn't enjoy, I, I took me a while to figure out what I actually enjoyed and what, what motivated me to be to step into leadership roles and what didn't. Yeah. Okay. That, that's very interesting, right? The, the, the finding uh, something outside of, of your natural work environment. Did you feel that um, finding those, those positions with uh, nonprofits, et cetera, that it really assisted you in improving your skills as a leader? Did you think that was something that helped you maybe A, become a better leader and B, also maybe um, transition easier into a leadership position from individual contributor? Absolutely. It made a big difference, especially, I think the biggest challenge is often confidence. If you come from an ICU rule, there are certain things that you feel comfortable with and certain things you don't comfortable with because I don't have exposure to them and for me that was the challenge of working in an unstructured situation and so gaining that confidence in outside in positions that are not necessarily work related is much easier because they're the, the if you fail at least for me it it felt a lot less painful so it was a mm. great better place to try out things than it would have been if I had my full-time work and all the responsibility and anxiety and yes that. Okay, so a little bit like a like a trial run or almost. But hey, um, they say um, growth happens outside of your comfort zone. Mm-hmm. So that that's a great uh, that's a great tip. Um, now, I think one one big thing uh, that I've, I'm, I'm discussing uh, quite a lot with with data leaders is um, there's a lot of work to be done. There's a lot of requests. There's not enough people, right? So. Um, people want to grow. Um, people want to want to have a good work-life balance. They want to enjoy work. Right? There is a lot of um, there are moving parts in the data space right now, and there's a lot of problems. Right? Like stakeholders not not listening to the data people and the data people being frustrated. You know, there's a lot of issues right uh, around the data space at the moment. Um, as a leader, now you've been doing this for a few years. Um, what are some things you do to to drive and keep your data people engaged and on track also for the company mission, right? Because that's very difficult to keep them um, motivated, right, and engaged. Yeah, yeah, that's a, that's a complex question. I'd like to unwrap that a little bit. So the first thing is, I mean, I like to distinguish between intrinsic motivation and extrinsic motivation. And intrinsic motivation, I think, just has to be there and you can't really build it. So for me, it's very important to work for a company where I am motivated by the mission that it has. And I've I've tried experimentally to work for companies where I wasn't really excited about the mission and it didn't go well. I wasn't engaged and I didn't do great work. And of course, that was frustrating for everyone. So that for me is the first thing. And if I'm motivated as a leader to keep people, 
about the mission, it's easier for me to transmit that motivation to my team and to stakeholders and everyone, or to people that I recruit even. And likewise, when I hire people, I'm very key, careful to select for people that are intrinsically motivated about the problem that the company has as its mission. So that, and that people are motivated by all sorts of things. So it's not necessarily that what some people are motivated by very technical challenges. Other people like myself are more motivated by the impact we have in the business. Other people are motivated a lot by making money. So those maybe fit very well into a fintech, con fintech context or whatever it might be. There's all different industries and all different company missions attract certain people. And it's, for me, it's really important to find the right people. So that's also a big chart of the engagement because if people really believe that what they're doing with their work is aligns with their own values, motivation to a large degree takes care of it. But then, of course, there are the kind of the sanity factors that demotivate people. And those are important, like conflicts in the team, like work environments where people don't feel they can have an impact or not having career progression. And all of the things are important as a team need to take care of. So making sure that people, that the communication and the team flows, that people know where they're going in terms of their career and that they feel aligned with what the opportunities the company offers them. Making sure that, yeah, that I lost my thread. But yeah, you, you get the picture, I think. Yeah. So yeah. All these things that as a team leader, that are the core of team leadership is really, or team people management is really, to clear out all the factors that get in the way of intrinsic motivation. But mm. and stakeholders that don't listen, you mentioned it, and yeah, or tools that don't do the job, all these things really can be demotivating, even if people are intrinsically motivated. But those can be moved out of the way. Mm. Uh, I've got two questions on that. Uh, one thing I found uh, very interesting was uh, the mission piece that you like to look out for people that, um, that, that align or are interested in the company's mission. Let's say you've got a really difficult technical task and you need an absolute, absolute star of a data engineer. Do you still stick to that? Looking for someone that has a strong, do you think that, or let me ask differently, why do you think that makes such a huge difference? Because what if you need like an, an absolutely good A player, right? And he doesn't really care about the mission, but he's super motivated. He's super good. Um, he just doesn't care about the environment, right? For whatever reason. Um, why do you think it would be better to go with someone that's aligned to the company mission? I mean, for me, that's a bit of a hypothetical question because I've never been in a business situation where we needed somebody who was extremely technical stellar, okay. but didn't care about the business at all. And I would even challenge that most businesses don't need people that don't care about the business, but only about the technical side of it. I think that's the rare case. Maybe maybe if I worked at Google, which I never did, or DeepMind or something, mm. that really has an extremely technical mission, but I've never worked in such a company. So for me, that, that was never really a trade-off I had to make because in all the places I've worked, understanding the business and being passionate about making an impact in the business doesn't have to be highly an idealistic one. But even if you say work in the fintech, then understanding how the money flows operate and how the company actually earns on a transaction or something like is more important in most cases, especially in data, because data really is a representation of the business, is more important than knowing how exactly to hyper-tune some parameters in a, in a model, in my opinion, and in data engineering in particular as well. Because most data engineering is very cookie-cutter in my experience, and there's... A, certain skills you need, but 
being able to understand where the data come from and how it needs to be sliced in the specific context is much more important and being passionate about making that impact rather than knowing how exactly to fine-tune this, I don't know, Spark model or mm-hmm. Airflow mm-hmm. or whatever the current things might be, but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, another point that you mentioned as well was that as a leader, you need to uh, kind of take away the pain points, right? Like uh, make uh, tools, communications, uh, things like that. Now, I suppose uh, if you're not the CEO or the founder, there's also a little bit of limitations that you have as a head of data engineering. Um, how do you manage a situation where the top blocks you and you can't really resolve the problem for your for your team? How do you handle that? Because you're right, it's your job to uh, take all that stuff out of their way. But sometimes maybe you can't, even though you want to. Yeah, I'd like to di- differentiate two scenarios here. One is it's based on how critical the thing here. If it's a smaller thing mm-hmm. that, that the C-level is blocking for very practical reasons, for instance, there's just not, we would like to hire another person to improve the workload, but there's just not funding, otherwise the runway will run out, which is a typical scenario in the startups I've worked. Then this is something that can be dealt with usually and needs to be communicated with the team and then we need to find a solution. The other thing which I've also seen is that the scene level is just not interested and doesn't prioritize data. And that to me is a red flag, which as soon as I find out, I've usually changed the company because there isn't, you can't, it's a very uphill, maybe you can, but it's a very uphill battle to convince somebody that data is important. And so far, I haven't seen a lot of people that succeeded in such an environment as data leaders or even as data ICs, because if the, if the C-level is not aligned with the priority of, doesn't see the value of the data work, then it's a bit of a lost cause in my experience. Yeah, okay, fair enough. And um, um, I have to say that uh, this conversation has happened a few times that it's almost impossible to to grab um, the very top and and change their mind if they're very much against it or very much adamant not that data is not that uh, crucial. And another point, and I think that question comes because of one of your LinkedIn posts about um, conflict uh, resolution that I thought was was very interesting. Um, I can imagine you have a lot of different personalities, right? In a data team, you will have data analysts who are a little bit more vocal. They like speaking to stakeholders. They like digging into data, sharing insights. And you've got a couple of software engineers, data engineers who are a little bit more technical. So I can imagine the personalities vary. Um, how do you know or how do you select a, re- a leadership style specific to individual needs or is that something you even do or do you just have one style for everyone mm, yeah that's an interesting question um, I I definitely adjust to the needs of the individual because my leadership style is not so much I don't necessarily lead in large forums so Yes, of course, I, we have team meetings where I'm a part of and often leading the team meetings, but the, I'd say the biggest chunk of my leadership work is actually done in the one-on-ones with the individual team members or in smaller firms. And for that, it's very important to adjust myself to whatever the team member, the colleague needs. And so I would say I mostly adjust. And some, yes, some people are very vocal. It's not necessarily role-dependent. And I see a big chunk of my work also to make sure that in team, team settings, 
not just the loud people are heard and that they don't get to dominate the entire conversation just because they're more loud and more comfortable speaking. <laughs> so that is that is an important work that I do. But uh, the biggest chunk is to me really to adjust to the individual member what they need and even encourage. So I've put some sponsored public speaking courses for some of the less vocal but very experienced team members so that they feel more comfortable speaking up. So that is something that's very much on my mind, how to develop people in a way that the people with the most competence speak up and not the people that are the loudest. Mm -hmm. uh, that is actually quite cool. So because you do public speaking as well and you learned it as well, right? If I remember your LinkedIn posts uh, properly. So is that like something that you offer as part of their um, professional uh, development or do you offer that more as a part of, you know, extracurricular activities, you know, like more of a confidence building outside of work? I So I've done, I've hosted... Oh, I still host public speaking games within the company, which are kind of more fun ways to practice public speaking that aren't necessarily very intense. That's more of a lightweight team building activity than necessarily a deep skill building. But in specific cases, I've also supported specific team members to take in that public speaking courses. And it's because I felt and they felt that they wouldn't want to be more confident in in meeting situations. And that has made a huge difference. So for them, it was part of their work work development plan to take a public speaking course. Yeah, I do really like that. Again, uh, going back to uh, growth happens outside your comfort zone, uh, right? So that's cool. And then uh, going back to the initial part of my question with uh, the conflict resolution, because that was also something that I was quite keen to understand because in the data space, um, especially right now, Losing employees is a bit of a is a bit of a pain point, right? Um, it's really difficult finding good people, and then obviously you don't want to retrain someone, etc. So, I think conflict resolution might be a big thing to make sure that everyone stays happy, right? Um, obviously, if uh, some people get physical, I'm not sure if you can resolve that, but you know the usual work situations. How do you? How do you make sure everyone gets out of a situation, maybe not happy, but at least not mad? Uh, you know, I think you can't make everyone happy, but I'm sure you can mitigate at least the the sense of anger. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's actually a challenge I'm dealing with right now. There's some conflicts in the team that I'm trying to iron out a bit. And what I found the most effective are two things. The most important thing is to talk with each member in the team and figure out what they're angry about and what their conflict issues are and then helping them understand what might be their own contribution also to the conflict and what they could do differently as long as they're open to that. And the other thing is sometimes I just have to be present when, when conflicts arise and moderate a bit, facilitate a bit the conversation so that they don't escalate. And that is also still a gross edge for me, I would say, to help help in such situation because I used to be the one that was always angry and I had to grow a lot out of this to not be constantly angry and feel attacked when, when I was part of a conflict. So on the one hand, it helps me pass on my experience because I've done a lot of growth in that space. But on the other hand, it's also still an edge for me to hold that space for others who are angry and not take sides, for example. 
And so that's that for me an ongoing challenge. So, so your role basically, and I actually don't know the English word for it, but so your role is basically a Streitschlichter. So for all the English listeners here, I'm sorry, but you have to Google that. Streitschlichter, mitigator, that's the one. So your role is basically the one of uh, a mitigator and um, just listening, making sure that both parties understand where each other is coming from. Yes, exactly. That is what I see as my role there. Okay. Um, okay. Then... Um, another big, big point um, as a leader, um, if you are a freshly baked leader, if you're a growing leader, is uh, obviously team growth, you know, or hiring in, in general. You lose people, some people step up, some people want to do something else. Um, what do you see? How do you see your position as a as a leader when it comes to attracting? But also, very importantly, I think that is something not a lot of people speak about: is uh, retaining uh, talent. Mm -hmm. How do you see your your role specifically in that area? Yeah, I think actually the second part you mentioned, the retaining part, is more important than the attracting part, because the first thing you want to make sure is that you don't bleed, that you, so that you don't lose more people than yeah. you can sensibly higher for and so that is where i put most of my effort in is as i said all these things around career growth and conflict resolution and removing obstacles that's a big part of retaining and also selecting for motivation so that people generally feel aligned with what's happening in 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 their work um but yeah hiring Hiring for me really has two main challenges. One is finding people in the sense of just purely attracting, especially since I've mostly worked in small startups that didn't necessarily have a huge reputation. So then it's a, a challenge. And I usually come through my networks and sometimes sometimes we work with external recruiters. Sometimes we pay for posts, uh, but we don't have the brand recognition that we can just share something and people will immediately share it. So that is a big challenge. And the other big challenge is then to find people that actually are aligned with the company and that don't just meet the technical qualifications. Those are important, but more importantly, really contribute something with themselves, but, but add something to the company in terms of their motivation, their, their backgrounds, their, their, their soft skills. I don't like the term soft skills, but I guess it, it conveys something. So yeah. that really round up the team and add something beyond just being able to solve, to configure SQL or whatever it might be. Mm -hmm. um, you also said um, that retention is probably more important, and I, I, I very much agree. Um, and just a thought, because you were mentioning, um, you know, career progression and, and all that stuff, and there is sometimes situations where, where someone wants to step up or wants to, to learn a new technology or whatever it may be, personal growth, uh, career growth, uh, technical growth, whatever. Um, sometimes you can't give, give it to them immediately. How do you mitigate that? Because if they can't have it now, I mean, let's be very honest, there is plenty of option out there, right? There is a lack of candidates, not a lack of really good jobs. How do you make sure that people don't jump ship immediately, right? Is there anything you can do to at least mitigate the situation until you can give them what they want, like a leadership position or growth, or training, etc.? Yeah. Yeah. To be honest, I've never had somebody really being really eager to jump ship purely because of a promotion. 
I think the I think and also speaking from my own experience, having been that person that jumped ship several times, I think people jump ship if they're generally frustrated and the, the lack of promotion is just the, the tip of the iceberg. Mm. People are generally comfortable with the work they're doing and with the with the team and with the company direction and the feel they're having again having an impact on what in what they're doing, etc. The promotion often isn't the most or even the salary isn't the most pressing thing. And it becomes an issue if people are generally frustrated, then it becomes a big issue. Because then it's, they often attach their self-worth to the fact that and uh, their, their, their value to the company by the, these kind of outside factors. And then it becomes controversial. And then, But then, I, in my experience, it's more important to keep still, not necessarily give people the immediate promotion, but more figure out what, what is underneath that and what else could we be doing in the hopefully short term to make them feel comfortable in their work again, rather than get attached to these outs, these outside signs of recognition. If that makes sense. No, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. I think I can agree to that um, because even, even the candidates we look at, um, I think people would be very much surprised how many of the candidates we place were previously passive um, because they were, like you were saying, generally satisfied it was sometimes that um, there's this tiny little pull that the new job would give them. So they're generally satisfied and wouldn't actually actively apply. Um, but, you know, if you can give them that extra, I don't know, salary, that promotion, then they are inclined to look at. And, and I'm saying inclined because they're not usually ready to jump immediately if it's not good for them. Um, so I would tend to agree very much. Uh, I think a lot of clients would be surprised how many candidates are actually passive, the ones that we sent them. Um, so yeah, I agree 100%. Um, if they're actively looking, they will they will make themselves hurt, uh, the data people. So that's for sure. Um, so uh, you, you speak a lot about um, also about communication and that, that leads me to, to wonder, what do you think are the most important qualities a leader needs to show? And I'm not asking for competences that they need to have learned already, right? But qualities in a person to become a good or a great leader. What do you think is the bare basics that a leader should should have? Yeah, I think to me, the biggest quality is that they care about people. And that sounds trivial, but surprisingly and i've been that person and that was probably why I, I didn't enjoy my previous leadership experiences i've been that person that doesn't necessarily enjoy interacting with people and then leadership is just pure hell for everybody it's not comfortable for you and it's not enjoyable for anybody you lead because nobody likes to be seen as a problem everybody wants to be seen as as an asset to the company and, and somebody that's enjoyable to work with and so that is probably the biggest quality and then a certain amount of calmness and confidence. So as a leader, you're constantly hit by everybody seeing their, their issue as the biggest as the biggest problem, and that's understandable. And But as a leader, you really have to prioritize, not just, as I said, not just the lo loudly screaming people, but everybody has their issues and not everybody is as vocal about them. So figuring, having that internal calmness to say, okay, yeah, I, I I hear you, I understand you, but maybe this is not something we need to address immediately. Even if it's the senior leadership screaming at you, that kind of skill to keep a perspective, I think, is also really important. And that's something 
that is trainable, but unfortunately, it's rarely trained in icy positions because as an icy, we're often very much shielded from, exactly by our leadership from all the noise. And so finding a way to train that, for me, that was actually, interestingly, public speaking, the public speaking training I did where, where I had a lot of noise being applied to me as I, I was speaking and keeping my calm in such a situation was a really valuable training for me as a leader now to pick out what's this, what in the, important is, in the signal is important and what is just noise. Mm. Yeah, very interesting um, because I think... <laughs> um... My uh, one of my first managers uh, said that to me. Um, one of his main jobs was to protect me from from the from the top. Uh, he did a very good job back in the day. He he very much did, um, and and I think I incorporated that very much uh, because he was basically actually he was my first manager in recruitment. So he did a very good job to to protect me, and I think I I um, I took over that that kind of style. Uh, to make sure that the people that report into me are are protected by me as much as I physically can. Um, so I really, really like that bit because I can very much um, relate to that. So for every, and I think we, we've discussed a lot uh, what to do for people who want to step up, right? Uh, what they can do to have the opportunity to step up. What would you, what advice would you give someone that is, there is a freshly baked leader. They've been in their position for a year, six months, and they've got all the qualities you mentioned, um, but they just want to be better. What would you, what would you tell them um, if they would report into you, a team lead, uh, just to be a little bit better every day? What advice would you give them? Yeah, two things. One is to really figure out what is important to them as a leader. So because it's easy as a leader, you you get attacked, not attacked, but a lot of people approach you with their expectation of who you should be and what you should be doing and to really figure out what is important to you, what will makes you in the end satisfied as a leader. And different leaders have different priorities. And to figure out what these priorities are for you then make you feel satisfied in your own. The other thing is to carve out a little bit of time every day just to reflect on where you're going and whether you're going in the right direction and where you could be learning. And that is super hard because, again, all the noise is coming to you and you're the job is just to sort it out, but within doesn't always find a bit of time to not just listen to everybody else, but really listen to yourself as well and figure out where you're going. And if you're, if you're still happy and if you're overwhelmed and if you're overworked or if, if you're going in the right direction or if you're just burning yourself out. Okay. Well then, Ellen, uh, thank you very, very much. Uh, this was very, very interesting. Uh, for everyone who's interested in, in Ellen's leadership advice, follow or her on LinkedIn. Um, she shares quite a lot of information about leadership. Ellen, thank you very much. It was very interesting to just listen to uh, more of a in-depth day-to-day and what a data leader can do or should do. Um, so thank you very much for joining me. And for everyone else, stay tuned for our next episode. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And I'm going to press.